successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Brill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show on 980 AM or on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio via podcast or at our website, GrillNationShow.com. I am your host, Jason Grill. Hope you're having a great day and are enjoying uh, as much as you can the holiday season locally or if you're traveling, be safe and be healthy. Uh, excited for Christmas, uh, New Year's, uh, to start to 2021. and very excited about today's show. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us again today. On today's show, we have Ed Lotta, who's the president and CEO of Goodwill of Western Missouri in Eastern Kansas. Their website is uh, mocangoodwill.org. That's M-O-K-A-N goodwill.org. Thought this was a good person to have on the show. One, because he's he's a he's a, he's not a, a native Kansas City, but he's moved here, mm-hmm. you know, over the last, uh, I guess you would say, what, about a couple of years, Ed? Three years, yeah, almost three years now. Three years. Uh, man, time flies. But uh, <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to have you on because I, I think you bring a lot of wealth of knowledge as far as leadership and kind of coming to Kansas City, how you got here, what Goodwill does, kind of learn more about you and your organization. But, you know, I, I you know, we've known each other for about a year or so now, a little more than a year. Yeah, a little more than that. Uh, through the Civic Council's Kansas City Tomorrow program. And well, welcome to the show first. Like for our listeners, obviously, who who don't know you, although you are pretty active in our community, um, give us a little bit of your background. I know you come from the, uh, from the South, correct? I do. Uh, born and raised in Orleanian. Uh, and, and Jason, of course, I want to say how uh, grateful I am to have, to be on your show and how much of a, uh, a fan I am of your work. And obviously, we know each other personally, but, you know, and I, I you know me well enough, I tell you whether or not I do you, bad, you do a bad job. So I just want you to know, man, I appreciate everything <laughs> you do for Kansas City. One thing I've learned City. about Ed Lotta, he's not, uh, <laughs> he is outspoken. A little bit, and to, to a fault, I think. But um, no, man, I'm born and raised in Orleanian. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people at, assumed I was going to have a Cajun accent. You know, saying Shari, you know, is on Bonton Roule. I, I honestly wish I picked up the Cajun accent because I thought I think it would have played wonderfully here in Kansas City. Uh, but I did not. Alas, I did not. It sounds good. That's for sure. You picked <laughs> it up well. So you so you worked in New Orleans. I I mean, so you were there during Katrina times and all the, the rebuilding and whatnot. No, I, I yes, I was. I uh thirty six years in New Orleans and graduated from Loyola University there in New Orleans. Uh, and studied abroad uh, in Europe and in the D.C. during my college years. But, no, I was there uh, pre and post uh, Hurricane Katrina. And, and uh, you know, it was one of those kind of life-defining moments, um, you know, both when the storm hit and after. Um, but it, it definitely shaped, you know, who I am today. Yeah, I like that. I, did, I forgot about your Loyola University. I, I studied abroad at Loyola University of Chicago at the Rome Center. So <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I had some oil in me, but yeah, so you, so you got involved in public affairs and poli-sci, you were a poli-sci major, uh, always had kind of an interest in giving back to the community, being involved in the community. 
Uh, and when you were in New Orleans, you started working with Goodwill. I did. I did. And how that no, came sure, sure. So I worked for a property management company for about 11 years, uh, a minority-owned property management company. Uh, and uh, I got headhunted one day. And the day, night before the interview, I told my wife that I wanted to do something different because I wanted to go back into, poly, into political science and uh, policy. And she's like, oh, they just go, go on an interview. It's probably nothing like what you were doing, you know, because I, I, I was doing property management work. And uh, uh, got the job as vice president of contracts in New Orleans where – uh, particularly in charge of uh, creating employment opportunities for people with significant disabilities. And I fell in love with the mission five years later. You know, we ended up in Kansas City, and, and I'm blessed to be president and CEO for this fine organization. But, um, you know, learned a great deal in New Orleans with goodwill there. Uh, and, and again, you know, Hurricane Katrina uh, uh, really prepared me for this particular job here. So, so you did that for about five years, and in 20, uh, 2018, you became president and CEO of Goodwill of Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas. What was the transition like from, from New Orleans to Kansas City? You know, your it family, was... Ed, but for you and your family. Yeah, no, no, for, for sure. No, my family fell in love with Kansas City right away. Um, and uh, and my son, I have a 10-year-old and a now 6-year-old, and my son will have been in Kansas City just about as long as he was in New Orleans. And he is a tried and true Chiefs fan. Now, it helps that his favorite color is red. Uh, and, of course, everybody loves, loves Patrick Mahomes. But, but I think the hardest transition was that the seafood here really is not that great. Uh, uh, however, I wound up gaining about 15 pounds from barbecue anyway. Uh, and so, so that was a nice kind of seamless transition. Uh, but I think that the thing that, that made the transition so seamless was uh, the people of Kansas City are extremely generous with their time in their friendship. Uh, I, I was overwhelmed with how many people were willing and open just to meet me and have conversations and connect me with other people throughout, throughout the community. And so, and I think that's something that may, uh, hopefully not overlooked in regards to, to the citizens here, but, but everybody's just so gracious and eager to see you to be successful uh, and, and wanna help uh, contribute in whatever way that they can to make sure that that happens. So, uh, and that reflected on my family too, man. My, my kids love it here. They love the four seasons. We didn't really have four seasons in New Orleans. So, you know, things like snow and the cold, they're all welcome retreats for us. And still to this day, we enjoy it. Ice isn't all that great, but, uh, but no, I, the family absolutely adores it here. Um, and, uh, and we're happy to be here. How do you handle when the Chiefs beat the Saints in football? Well, you know, I, I, I made a public decree that if uh, my employees wore red during this week, that they may or may not have, we're going to get written up. Um, I didn't really follow through with that. I'll save that for the Super Bowl. Um, I owe a lot of people barbecue, uh, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I, I root for the Chiefs every other week. Uh, but I am a diehard hoot at. Uh, but that being said, you know, I am a Chiefs fan as well. And unless they play each other in the, in the Super Bowl, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm still going to stay ready. loyal to your, your uh, hometown team. Well, I have to. Uh, what, uh, what, I mean, did you ever envision yourself doing what you're doing today? I mean, when you're doing property management down in New Orleans, I mean, now you're in Kansas City running, uh, running an amazing organization, which we're going to preview and talk about uh, in our second segment. But, I mean, what have you learned throughout this journey that has really benefited you? I mean, I can't imagine you ever thought you'd be president and CEO of a major nonprofit. No, well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm still that poor kid from the West Bank of New Orleans uh, you know, I still I still have that kind of that chip on my shoulder and, and, and knowing that I could have probably had three or four times in my lifetime where my life could have ended drastically different. Um, and so I, I constantly reflect on that. I don't know if you ever heard of this thing called imposter syndrome, but I, you know, I suffer from Very that. Much I, heard I, do. About it. I've heard about <laughs> it. I think 
about it every day when someone calls me on a crisis or on a, <laughs> right? a New York Times is reaching out to us today or the, what do we do with them, uh, with this city council person or this uh, right. senator? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, I deal with it, man. I deal with it. And, and just reflecting back, I mean, even on my Hurricane Katrina experience, so, you know, I, well, first backing up for a second, I worked in property management for 11 years and, and I love the hustle of that, that small entrepreneurial small business. I mean, cause it was, it was all, there was always something new. There's always a new rabbit to chase. Um, and when I graduated college, you know, I thought it was going to be hot stuff, man. I worked for Princeton university office of government affairs and graduated magna cum laude. And then, and then I couldn't find a job for nine months. And so there was, there were fewer things that were more humbling than that. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but from that experience and working through hurricane Katrina and, you know, having lost uh, 13 employees from, the the Katrina or just random displacement, uh, and then in my own my own personal experience from evacuating Katrina and being two or three refugees, my wife and I, that ended up in Vermont, all the way up in St. Albans, Vermont. Yeah, let's get into that after the break. I want to pick up right there. Ed Lotta, President and CEO of Goodwill of Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas, is joining us on today's Real Nation show. Thank you for joining us today on 980 AM or via podcast. We'll be right back. Hello, welcome back to the Grill Nation show here on 980 AM or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, as well on the website at grillnationshow.com. You can connect with me on social media. Uh, just search for Jason Grill on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Also on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. Thanks to all of our supporters and to our listeners, as well as those who uh, who offer guests uh, from time to time and uh, contribute to this great show that we try to put on each and every week. Today, we are with Ed Lada, President and CEO of Goodwill of Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas. Their website is mocangoodwill.org. That's M-O-K-A-N, goodwill.org. And we were talking about your journey. Now I want to kind of get into Goodwill's journey because I think I think everyone's kind of heard of Goodwill, but maybe they don't really understand all the different things you do. Talk to us about, you know, kind of give us the overview of what you do here at Goodwill as president and CEO and how many different types of uh, individuals and verticals that you work in. Sure. So we are a 127-year-old organization. Uh, we are actually older than the Goodwill brand, uh, which is unique. Uh, uh, Goodwills are a federated model. There are 146, 156 of us across the country uh, that are all autonomous organizations led by local board of directors. And so our territory is 82 counties uh, in Missouri and Kansas. Uh, and we serve uh, um, uh, a constituents of about 3.3 million people here it's in our 82, particular territory. 82 counties. 82 counties. Yeah, so we have a, have a pretty large territory uh, within our demographic. But, um, you know, our our whole thing is to try to help people become economically self-sufficient through the power of work. You know, when you think of all of the things that ail families, everything from health or health care or uh, food insecurities, uh, education, all of it can really be linked back to the ability to earn a stable paycheck and progress, right, and to, and to create sustainable employment. So, so our whole thing is, you know, we have a saying, a hand up, not a hand out, right? To really empower people to become uh, productive members of society to where they can prosper. And uh, and that's really what we're all about. Now, most people know us for our thrift stores. We have 14 thrift stores 
throughout the the region and, and are looking to grow. But the you know we're five hundred one c three nonprofit and the and we're so the original social enterprise, which is really cool. Um, but we you know the whole point of the thrift stores is to throw back uh, resources into building uh, the mission and to really empower people to get back to work. Yeah, and, and I think I was I fell prey to that uh, growing up. You know, in college. You, Back in when I was in college, Ed, going to the, the, the Goodwill and finding a, a vintage um, concert T-shirt or whatever, college team T-shirt was always one of the coolest things. I, I've been to many Goodwills, obviously, but I always thought of it as kind of the that that and not about empowering people through the future uh, for their futures through work uh, and through different programs you all put on. What What are some of those programs that you know, that are helping our community and benefiting our community so much? No, sure. So we we actually pivoted quite a bit because of COVID. You know, COVID hit us pretty hard um, uh, to the tune of about $2 million lost in cash. And, and we really had to uh, understand what is the post-COVID kind of landscape. And and from that, we were able to start a few new programs. We, uh, we quickly pivoted and started to use our men's shirts that were in our inventory and created uh, smocks for local healthcare providers, not hospitals, but some of the clinics, because they had to give all their good PPE, PPE to the uh, hospitals. And we created face masks, washable face masks from our, our men's shirt donations. Uh, and from that, we were, we've been able to increase the number of people served from 3,500 last year to nearly 12,000 this year. Uh, we also created uh, a job fair and uh, um, uh, job site through our website and through our corporate headquarters in conjunction with a partnership with Urban League here in Kansas City. Um, and we also do everything from mock interviews to prep people for that very stressful experience. Jason, I don't know when was the last time you've been on an interview, but you, I'm sure you can I've relate done, to I've how stressful. But, but I found it. <laughs> um, but uh, I do better when I start my own stuff. But no, but yeah, <laughs> right? I've been on. I've been on many. But you're right. I mean, it is. It is something that we take for granted. I mean, I can't tell you how many people throughout COVID or throughout just. Budget cuts have been uh, affected or or laid off or furlonged, and they, and they they reach out and they, you know, they've been somewhere for a long time and they don't they don't really have a resume. They don't yep. haven't had one since college or out of college, and they just don't really know where to go. Although they're like super talented people who, you know, maybe are in their fifties or early sixties or forties, and I don't know. So. It, that is a big skill set that is important that people understand and get help with, especially those that, that you're helping out. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think it's forgotten. It's not, it's a lost art as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it really is. Well, and again, it's a stressful time, especially if you've never gone through it or haven't gone through it for, for a decade in a lot of instances. I mean, it's, it's interesting in that this is the first time in human history where we have four generations that are actually in the workforce today. COVID hit and 250,000 people lost their jobs just within our own territory. A lot of which are, are uh, you know, low wage or uh, in, in low wage jobs, but then also jobs in hospitality that may or may not be coming back anytime soon. And so what's happening is you have a, a influx of unemployment uh, of individuals that need to find a way to be reskilled and upskilled. And so that's where Goodwill really tries to fit is to find what their skill set is in conjunction with a lot of different tools. Like we use the uh, Agile tool through the, through the the Bruce Foundation to really kind of right size and give, give people an idea of what they would be good at and try to help them on their journey through to employment. But more than that, but to keep employment and to prosper within that employment uh, is what we strive to do. 
Again, Goodwill's mission is to empower people to discover their potential and adapt for the future through the power of work with the vision of building sustainable and prosperous communities. What uh, I know you've been having to, to fill some of these gaps with, uh, with donations, uh, especially this year, one of which was Mackenzie Scott's 384 Ways uh, article that you sent me that, uh, that I read, which was just amazing. Take us through what that was and, and how that helped you. No, sure. So, so unfortunately, we didn't get one of Mackenzie Scott's direct gifts, uh, but the Goodwill Movement, 46 uh, or 47 Goodwill organizations throughout the country, received between five and $15 million gifts, uh, which is absolutely legacy changing, un unrestricted funds. And really what the way that it helps us is that it really legitimizes the work that Goodwills do all across the community. And because of those funds, well, you know, the movement is really going to be able to put rocket fuel on a lot of the mission programs that they do in their respective regions. And eventually, hopefully in some way, shape or form, it'll manifest itself in Kansas City. But it really is just that legitimacy that, hey, you know, Mackenzie Scott, you know, and, and all her her overwhelming um, uh, generosity just really put a spotlight on what Goodwills do. And, and, and it kind of the thing I'm most excited about is that moves away from from, you know, the, the a lot of disinformation from social media and, and helps us really, you know, explain that, hey, we're more than just a thrift store right now. The thrift stores are absolutely at the core of what we do. You know, we divert locally 17 million pounds from landfills. Each store generates between 300 and $500,000 in wages in a local community. And they're meant to be transitional employment for people to go on to bigger and better things. And so for Mackenzie Scott to give that gift to the movement really kind of just highlights what it is that we do in our individual communities and just uh, uh, really kind of that stamp of approval that, hey, you know what, you, what you guys are doing is so impactful. We want to, we, we as a group, McKinsey and her team really wanted to, to support those efforts. So, so how much money was raised? I, 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 you know, obviously I didn't know who McKinsey Scott was or what they were doing, but it seems to me it was unbelievable. What yeah, happened? well, all, all in all, she donated $4 billion to 364 organizations throughout the how country. How much, $400 million? No, four billion dollars. Billion. billion with billion. a B. Billion. So I mean, a massive amount of of uh, of impact. You know, I joke with with my fellow colleagues. I'm like, you know, it's like your uh, favorite cousin winning the lottery. You know, you're happy the money's in the family, but you're you know you're kind of sad you didn't win it. But that being said, it just validates you know what we do. Unfortunately, I don't think any Kansas City companies received any funding. But 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 in her blog, she talked about how. Uh, one one of the deciding factors were uh, how how much philanthropic giving was in the community and where was unemployment and things of that sort. And so I think that's also a testament to the giving community and what Kansas City is doing right. In that in that uh, you know while we may have been overlooked in this tranche, uh, hopefully she'll uh, she'll see what we're, we have going on with the next. Yeah, with all the other organizations getting it too, that'll help you guys. Ed Lada is with us um, from Goodwill of Western Kansas and Eastern Missouri. Ed. You have a, a nonprofit, uh, obviously, and uh, you're led by a board. Tell us about that dynamic of no, being so, CEO and president at a, at a fairly young age, having a, a board and, and whatnot. I know a lot of yeah. people are interested in that. <laughs> no, sure. So I, I got the job when I was 38. I think I came on board as the fourth youngest Goodwill CEO in the country. Uh, and my board, you know, they knew that bringing on a, a young CEO uh, represented a lot of risk. But but we had a very young and dynamic board ourselves and, and really allowed us to kind of push the envelope to really tinker with things like artificial intelligence and robotics and some other things that we can talk about a little later. But, um, but we have a brand new uh, slate of, 
uh, board members coming on next year. And I think one of one of my most proudest, uh, uh, um, uh, one of the things I'm most proud of in regards to my board is that we have elected our first black chair in our 127 year old history. Now I say that with a little bit of shame, but also with a, a lot of excitement that we were able to really look at diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of our strategic plan from top to bottom. And, and uh, Jameson Alton, who is uh, the deputy CEO for KC uh, Area Transit Authority is our incoming board chair. And so, so you know, really looking at, at what it means to be uh, representative throughout our community. And again, that starts with the top. So, you know, I, you know, of course, I'm obligated to say that I absolutely love my board, but it's the truth. I mean, we, we have a very dynamic board um, you know, we're represented by by some of the, the great companies here in Kansas City from uh, Hallmark, from uh, GIHA, or even though they don't like being called GIHA, but, but GEHA, you know, KCATA, uh, um, uh, Union Station and such. So, you know, some 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 absolute great representation. Yeah, you definitely have a great board. And Ed's a great uh, CEO and president. We're going to be right back with more on Goodwill, Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas, and with Ed with some great and interesting topics after the break on the Grill Nation show. Thanks for joining us today on KMBZ 980 AM or on podcast. We'll be right back. So lately, been wondering who will be there to take my place. I'm gone. You'll need love to light the. I walk a lonely road. The Hello, and welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm Jason Grill, your host. Thanks for listening again today. We appreciate it each and every week. Uh, you're listening to 980 AM or on podcast. We appreciate you listening there. If you're there today, uh, Ed Lada is with us, President and CEO of Goodwill of Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas. Website is mokangoodwill.org, M-O-K-A-N, goodwill.org. They represent over eight, 82 counties, you said, Ed, and over, what, 3.3 million people that you serve? Yep, absolutely. I wish we could serve all of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of people, and you're in two states, which is also an issue a lot of times with, uh, with being in two states and two geographical areas, but you're doing a great job. So you... Uh, We'll get into some of the things we've already we've already mentioned and COVID issues and what surprised you. But I want to talk about your innovations. I know you've been very active with uh, innovating and different initiatives with Goodwill. Uh, can you tell us about some of those? No, sure. I, so we launched the Artemis initiative in February, right before COVID hit. Yeah, I wanted to make uh, sure I pronounced that right. So I wanted you to say it. No, no, absolutely. No, no. It's the Artemis initiative. And really, uh, the, the program is uh, around workforce development for the fourth industrial revolution. And so, you know, there, there was a lot of studies being done that, that anticipated 40 million jobs were gonna be automated at some way, shape or form within the next seven and 10 years. And a lot of those jobs were repetitive, uh, you know, uh, entry level positions, which are where the majority of the people that we serve um, uh, are located. And so uh, the Artemis initiative was around how do we ethically make sure that these technologies around artificial intelligence, robotics, computer vision, machine learning, internet of things, virtual reality, augment reality, and 3D printing, how do we ensure that the jobs that come in the future that will, uh, that will eventually replace the jobs that are gonna go away are, are intertwined in a way that makes sure that people aren't left behind. You know, we serve a lot of people with, uh, or people with significant disabilities and other barriers to employment, whether it's re-entering from the prison system uh, or, or some other thing that, that keeps people from being successful. Uh, and our concern really was around the fact that so many jobs are going to be automated very, very quickly because the rate of technology has really uh, spiked exponentially. 
And so how do we create workforce development programs and training and education along with advocating to lawmakers and policymakers around making sure that people aren't left behind? I mean, it's gonna create a million, millions of more jobs and different jobs, higher paying jobs, but we have to be very deliberate about how we talk about that. And so when we launched Artemis Initiative, we had a presentation where we had some of our program participants with significant disabilities programming collaborative robots. We had autonomous vehicles on site. We had a virtual reality uh, Goodwill store and what that could potentially look like. It really just kind of veered into the future because a big issue is that a lot of people don't have this type of exposure with some of this high tech stuff. But at some point, the software and the hardware are going to meet. And so where we're trying to do is build up that workforce for those blue collar jobs and these high tech solutions. What was your action when you uh, wanted to do this? Uh, so, you know, I, I talked about it with the board when I went through the interview process. You know, that was kind of my lead in. Oh, and the I vision mean, plan. The vision yeah, plan. The and, vision and by plan. the way, Ed has given <laughs> great advice with talking, to, uh, with talking to boards and potential job interviews throughout the years. <laughs> right. uh, well, know, hopefully it worked. I don't know. You're still doing this. So maybe, maybe it wasn't good advice. Um, but, but no, I, you know, and I didn't bring it up again, right? Because I, you know, I just want to show where, where I felt like we were going, but look, it was a huge cultural shift for our organization. I mean, here I am coming in to a, to an organization that had been kind of stagnant for, for several years and, and talking about AI and robotics. And look, I had a lot of sideways looks, right? It was like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Right. And so, but what, what a lot of people didn't realize until I had to show them was that, look, that was two years of research in the making, right? I mean, I, I went and got my master's degree and every paper I wrote had something to do with the future state of goodwill and where it needed to go. And so, you know, we have a 127 year old brand that, that, that is still is run the same way as it did 40 years ago. And so in order for us to keep pace with modernization, we have to, have to find a way to embrace automation. But the only way we can do that is if we ethically intertwine that embrace, that embrace of automation and make sure that we are, we're bringing our people up alongside. It's not about replacing people. It's about becoming more efficient and, and more productive. And so, so the vision that I had was, look, these collaborative robots and AI, all these things are going to be, uh, true uh, level playing fields for people with significant disabilities and other barriers. You know, I have my buddy Tim, uh, who has Down syndrome, a young man that works at Anton's, and he'll tell you about the way Anton's has the best steaks in Kansas City. I had to give him a shout out because he loves it so much. But but Tim, you know, he has Down syndrome, and he's able to program a collaborative robot. He's actually part of our AI uh, project right now, where we're training data annotation text alongside the artificial intelligence product that we're developing. But to see him program a collaborative robot. What I had envisioned was Tim's going to have five collaborative robots to his left and his right, and his diverse ability no longer matters, right? And that's the power of the technology to really elevate the individual and augment the individual to where diverse abilities uh, no longer matter. And again, you'll have small manufacturing uh, uh, centers and garages all across America with collaborative robots and 3D printing. So, you know, all of it is really kind of awe-inspiring and hopeful. Uh, but more importantly, not only to the uh, individual, but then how it will affect the family too, and 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 those potential uh, jobs that are coming down the pipe now uh, are going to be pretty profound. So it's all very very exciting, kind of cutting edge stuff. But I tell you, it took two years to finally get everybody on board, and really what it took was to show them right to have the robot on site, to have to have that interaction with AI. And once people saw it, they were like, okay, this is a whole other horizon um, that 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 we didn't even see in front of us. It's a pretty impactful story, <clears throat> and it makes total sense. It really does. Um, it is the future, and it isn't. I, you know, everyone thought ATMs were gonna were gonna kill banks, and uh, <laughs> you know, 
these emotional or, uh, driverless cars are going to just 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 change everything yeah they will but we'll always adapt and i think what you're doing mm -hmm. is just creating so many more opportunities for those that that need them um so that's cool that that's going forward and um what what have you done to adapt i know you talked about covid 19 pandemic and um all the different issues that are that arose out of that with with your community but you know what have you what have you really done with the team in 2020 to adapt and, and maybe what were you most surprised about or what did you learn in 2020 from this pandemic i would say the thing that i probably learned most was uh the way that we educate and train is changed forever um you know the fact that we had to pivot so hard in regards to you know this virtual session uh, everything from the way we work to the way that we train, educate, all that stuff is now fundamentally changed. And I think it was a progression that was naturally happening kind of incrementally. And then all of a sudden we all had to adapt to it. So I think the other thing is that, that the, you know, you, you may have heard this notion of digital divide, you know, between the digital divide between the have and have nots. It's not a divide. It is a chasm. I mean, it is, it is so, so vast the difference of, of just accessibility and opportunity on the digital side in impoverished communities and communities of color, you know, it, it, it really put a spotlight as to how far behind a lot of our communities are. And so when I think about my own team and, and just culturally how difficult and how quickly we kind of had a pivot on that front while still being very top of mind about the safety of our employees and our stores and things of that sort, um, uh, really having to, to build a cultural around, uh, around that new medium. Uh, and while it wasn't necessarily a new medium, it was just a highly adapted medium that we all had to do. So I think that 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 it is going to be fascinating to see how education changes moving forward. And I, I'm a proponent for it. I mean, because the way that technology is changing, when you graduate for your university, if you're in a tech field, chances are what you learn is going to be outdated by the time you finish. Matter of fact, there's a study out there that's saying if you start elementary school today, by the time that you graduate, half of the jobs that you were planning on, on, on working after high school are no longer gonna be around. And that's just because of the way that technology has really changed the landscape across the board. So, so I think that, that this was a huge, great social experiment. And I, I, I'm fascinated to see what type of really excellent solutions and what kind of entrepreneurs pop out from this to solve a lot of these uh, social problems. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited about that as, as well. Um, how, how did the, uh, the pandemic affect your uh, your locations. I mean, the so, locations, and, and where are we at now with that? Yeah, sure. So we uh, some of our stores were closed for four months, um, and and majority of which were closed for a good portion of three. Uh, and from that, we we wound up losing about two million dollars of our cash reserves from the shutdowns, um, and and it really impacted our business to the to the point where we actually had to lay off two hundred and fifty individuals when COVID hit in order just to mitigate the cash burn. And so, you know, at that point it was an extremely hard decision, but it, but our whole thing was, look, we've been around for 127 years. If we don't do something now, we may not be around for another two. And so, you know, there was so much uncertainty with with the effects of the pandemic. And, and again, you know, what was gonna happen on a local level uh, that we had to be as, as conservative as we possibly can so we can bring people back. So I'm proud to say that we brought back uh, uh, pretty much all of our employees uh, almost, we, we're at 550, now we're at about 475 employees, but we're still, you know, at about 90% of revenue pre-COVID. Uh, but that being said, our community is still as generous as ever. Our donations were flush. Everybody had a really a lot of time to clean out the closets and, and they were very generous with, with their donations. And so I'm always grateful to the generosity of Kansas Cityans 
uh, in the broader in the greater Kansas City area. How do people how do people uh, donate to that? How do they do that? Do they just so, drop out of the store? What happens? They sure do. Yeah. So each one of our stores collects donations, and uh, most of which have drive-throughs where you can uh, donate your goods. And then you can go to our website, the mokangoodwill.org and donate directly there. We're doing a holiday of giving campaign right now where we are partnering with local nonprofits in, in all of the towns that we currently have a store in to help families in need, whether they were affected by COVID or real true economic distress uh, and, and giving gift, them gift cards so they can go buy winter wear and house, household goods. And so it's a bit, been a very impactful campaign uh, uh, of giving if you want to give financially, really helping a lot of families uh, in coordination with other nonprofits in the community. That's awesome. I, I try to do that every year. I mean, you have to. You have, you have yeah. so many. Uh, we're all pretty lucky. And I think many of us have closets that we could we could we could clean out and uh, put it to good use. No, absolutely. And again, the generosity of Kansas City is amazing. We, you know, we have so many treasure hunters that come into our stores that find these these just, um, you know, I see I see posts. like, Oh, look, I got this thing for like 10 bucks at Goodwill. I wound up selling it for 300. Well, that kind of makes me oh, I miss that because I want to fund my programs. I'm also really excited about the treasure and experience within our store. So, you know, you mentioned about going to find those vintage T-shirts and whatnot. Look, there's a lot of we, I'd say probably about 25 percent of our shoppers are third party resellers that they go in and, and mine the donations. Ed Lotta is with us, Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas, President and CEO of Goodwill of those areas. We'll be right back with more Real Nation. Thanks for joining us today. Debbie just hit the wall. She never had it all. One Prozac a day. Husband's a CPA. Now that she's back in the atmosphere with drops of Jupiter in her Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I am Jason Grill. Thanks for joining me today on KMBZ 980 AM or on podcast or at our website, grillnationshow.com, where you can find all of our guests, all of our podcasts, and all well as well as our supporters and sponsors. We're always looking to grow. So if you'd like to be a part of this show, we'd love to hear from you. Just shoot an email to grillnationshow at gmail.com. We're joined by Ed Lotta, President and CEO today, Goodwill, Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas, mocangoodwill.org, great organization in our community. Ed, you've been in a leadership role now for a, for a decent amount of time and obviously served your community here and in New Orleans. I want to know what is your proudest moment maybe maybe this year, but maybe as a whole you've ever experienced as a leader? It's uh, a great question. I'd say one that was recent. So our Artemis initiative was, like I mentioned, two years of this research. This the Innovation and, four- and Technology Initiative again, folks, yeah, Robotics. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, artemisinitiative.com if you'd like to go take a look at it. Um, but uh, it was four years in the making to get to a point and I was in Topeka advocating on the ethical use of technology and, and well, probing the lawmakers. Just going to Topeka to advocate is, is a win for you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. We went to Jeff City too, man. And I'll have to tell you a story about how we rolled a robot that wasn't checked by security right on the Senate floor. It really opened a lot of eyes when we brought it up because we're not even asking the right questions about this stuff. But that's maybe another call. That's, but, another, that's another show. <laughs> yeah. So, but while we were in Topeka, I got a video of a couple of my program participants who had significant disabilities. One was visually impaired uh, and my buddy Tim who had Down syndrome. And I got to witness them program a collaborative robot for the first time. And I, I cried, you know, I cried because again, I, at, at that point it was just a vision, right? It was just like, this is what could be. And to actually see that story playing out uh, was, was one of my most proudest moments in that, you know, I, I, I felt very strongly that this was the direction we need to go. And to see it manifest itself like that 
was a pretty powerful experience. That's awesome. Gosh, I can't even imagine. What what a cool thing. I, I think I think Tim is on your website. I'm I'm looking at it right he now. <laughs> I see a picture with one of the robots. Oh yeah, he's a superstar, man. He's a superstar. And look, we have uh, I, I have a, a, a an employee that was a three time Special Olympics medalist in bocce ball. Bocce uh, ball. So yeah, we have a ton of talent, man. A ton of talent here in Kansas I love City. It. I love it. Hey Ed, uh, we do a lot of quick hitters here on our final segment of the Grill Nation show. What What is one word to describe you as a person or you in general, and one word that you would pick to describe goodwill? This may come as a surprise to you, but I'd, I'd say uh, for me, it's unyielding would be the word. <laughs> uh, you've been around me long enough to know that's probably accurate. Yeah, you definitely are. You definitely are. <laughs> and goodwill, sustainability. I mean, sustainability, not only from the environmental side with our stores, but really creating sustainable life. Uh, opportunities for the people we serve and create sustainable employment and paychecks. Uh, so sustainability, I think, is the great word for Goodwills. I like that. That's a good word to use. So it's a it's a popular word these days. I'm hearing it sustainability is. more, and I think it's a good word that we've uh, we've kind of embraced, especially. Yeah, well, and, and it's and it's more than just an environmental piece, right? It, it's how do you keep up a a sustainable family unit, right? How do you how do you sustain, you know, your your educational path and your professional development? All of it really wraps into the core of what Goodwill tries to do. We'd like to learn on this show, and we'd like to learn from people who have uh, a lot of life experiences like yourself, Ed. Um, what what maybe is some of the best advice you've ever received in your life, uh, whether it's personal advice, whether it's business advice, whether it's from a mentor? What what uh, what advice would you like to share with our listeners? Uh, that maybe has been impactful uh, in your own life? Well, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but an old boss of mine, very colorful individual in New Orleans, at the Goodwill in New Orleans, who recently retired, he said, Ed, if you ever get arrested, tell people you work for Salvation Army. So that was a really good... Now, I love Salvation Army. Salvation Army deserves everything that they get. I mean, Salvation Army is a great organization, but I, I, uh, I always loved that little tidbit from my own boss. But but uh, actually, it was a high school teacher that pushed me into joining our mock trial team. And so um, mock trial is similar to debate, except, you know, you're you're playing the role of either a witness or a lawyer and competitively, you know, have to think on your feet and, and public speaking and things of that sort. Uh, when I think back on the impact that uh, playing in mock trial for two years at the high school level had on everything I did for the rest of my life, whether it was just confidence in public speaking, the thinking on my feet, to be able to debate a point, all of that was instrumental into my own professional growth. So, uh, you know, for any kids listening out there, or any college students, engage in your debate team, engage in your mock trial team, and really build up that 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 tool because it is a skill set that that makes very people very uncomfortable but anybody can learn so i think for me personally i would not be where i am today had it not been for that teacher pushing me into that now she pushed me into that because i talked a lot in high school and in my class and she thought i'd be good at it and i wound up actually being very good at it so so i i'm, yet, I'm thankful yet, Ed, you didn't go to law school like me and i had to take i did mock trial i'm not proud of <laughs> I did mock trial was one of the tough not toughest classes but it was a four-hour class so it was a ton mm. of work but yeah, I could see it. You might have made a good lawyer. Ed. Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I tried to get through school as quickly as I could. And I didn't want all that crushing debt. So, no, that's so you know, I, I appreciate you and everybody who goes through that hustle, man. But yeah, it was, uh, but, fun. Yeah. It was fun. I definitely loved uh, when I practiced more. I loved uh, the courtroom stuff. That was a, oh, it's it, a blast. It was, it was a rush. It was a rush, man. It was always uh, nerve wracking and just so many variables involved. Yeah. And, 
Well, see, and I was lead witness, man. So me being lead witness, I was able to really toy with the with the attorneys <laughs> and frustrate them. And I got to play with accents and all that stuff. Well, so it was, uh, yeah, man, it was a blast, man. I love that stuff. Love it. Um, what would uh, what would you say, Ed Lada, was uh, was your biggest accomplishment as a human being in your career? Maybe what was your biggest failure that you learned from uh, that that you've you've moved on and become better today, either or or both. Uh, you know, I think starting with the accomplishment, um, when I worked for property in a um, uh, property management company in New Orleans, uh, our major contract was Xavier University of New Orleans. And so when Hurricane Katrina hit, one of the most proudful, one of my most prideful um, accomplishments was that Xavier University was the first college to open up post Katrina. And it had not been for our rest restorative work and uh, and getting the campus up to snuff to get uh, kids back at post Katrina. I think that that was probably one of my uh, maybe my most uh, important um, professional accomplishment only because, you know, those were 18 hour days, man. I mean, those were those were grinding days for about six months to get that school open. And and when it was, it was just an overwhelming sense of accomplishment uh, on the failure side. I'd say that while I've only been here for three years, not positioning our organization in a way uh, that could have withstand, withstood COVID where we wouldn't have had to lay off anybody. Um, that, you know, having to lay off, make decision to lay off 250 individuals, that takes a tremendous toll, not only on me personally, but on the team that wasn't laid off, right? I mean, because they, you know, they, there's a lot of uh, uh, guilt that I had placed on on the people that did stay around in the middle of all of it, right? And, and, uh, and, and, it, and it was, the, you know, it was, wasn't no fault of theirs, but not creating an organization uh, uh, as quick enough to withstand that type of economic pressure, I think is probably one of my personal greatest failures, you know, because it's never, it's never easy making those hard decisions. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm glad that we were able to bring the majority of those positions back, but you know, That's it's exactly. something that I'll, yeah, it's just something I'll always have to deal with. Um, and uh, Well, I and, mean, you and along with a lot of other folks, I think you've done a great sure. job. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Ed. Ed Lotta, uh, President and CEO of Goodwill, Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas. Their website is mocangoodwill.org. Obviously, they do a lot of great things in our community. It was great to hear about what you've been working on, and I'm assuming you're uh, pretty excited about the future mm -hmm. of the organization. Oh, absolutely. Look, we're going to try to open three stores every year for the next three years at least and really uh, expand our donated goods footprint throughout the community. And then that'll help us grow our Artemis Initiative uh, school and education pathways and advocacy on that front. So a lot of really exciting things uh, coming forward and, and trying to be the best stewards of these community dollars as we possibly can uh, to, to, to bring some impact. I love it, Ed. Well, hey, thanks for joining us on the show. And thanks to the listeners for joining us today on the Grill Nation show. We'll see you again next week. Take care and have a great day. I am unwritten, can't read my mind. I'm undefined.